0: This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Julian Funsale is a cryptocurrency expert and an auditor who previously worked in the Cayman Islands where he helped break open a major brokerage firm scam on the islands. That firm has since been put into liquidation. Even while living in the Cayman Islands, Fonseil had his attention drawn to Mirror Trading International, which many of you will know is a Bitcoin investment scheme now in provisional liquidation after drawing in a reported 23,000 Bitcoin from tens of thousands of people all over the world. Unfortunately, South Africa has become an international hub for crypto Ponzi schemes, and that hasn't gone unnoticed by local and international authorities. Last week, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority issued a health warning about cryptos or cryptos, saying these are highly volatile. And if anything goes wrong with a crypto investment, you've got no recourse against anyone. So this might be a good time to ask an expert, how do we pick up the telltale signs of a scam? Julian, you're a crypto expert and you're an auditor. So what are the telltale signs to look out for?
1: I think everyone has heard the term, if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true too many times for it really to be meaningful anymore. The reality is that in the realm of cryptocurrencies, things that sounded too good to be true have actually ended up being true a lot of the time. I think that's why MTI was so successful in garnering support from a lot of intelligent and successful people. There was a genuine basis to think these returns could be real, even though they seemed unlikely. The question becomes what the man on the street can do to sift through this scan. And in the case of MTI, I think what every person could have done was essentially two main things just based on public information and logic. The first is understanding the incentives. I couldn't understand why Johan, having stumbled on an algorithm that had such a consistently high yield, that seemed to far surpass any other trading algorithm in the world, would not just sell this IP for billions of dollars to investment banks across the world. If the yields were so high and so genuine, he and his team could have made far more money with a standard 20% performance fee, that I'm sure investors would have been happy to pay instead of going the ML route. MLM route. What was happening versus what the incentives would point you to were contradictory. And that to me is an indication of trouble.
0: Just to be clear, MLM is a multi-level marketing scheme, right?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah. Sorry, carry on. What is the second thing to look for?
1: The second. So understanding who the people, the person behind it is. And I looked at Johan's LinkedIn page at the time. It showed no formal education to speak of that would equip him to be a director of such a complex multinational corporation and also no relevant experience would have made up for formal training. I understand from previous conversations also that the other cost of characters involved weren't much to speak of. The fact is you really do need robust compliance, legal and accounting departments when running operations of this scale, especially when operating across geographies, and MPI fell woefully short. In my opinion, I think that could have been intentional, there are another a bunch of other things to look out for, but I, I think these might be things that any people with a financial background might look, look out for. Like, why was such a large company trading with only one director? The Companies Act requires you know, a number of directors and committees for such large companies. When you look on the SIPC website, you could see that the annual return wasn't filed on time and that it's a very simple and cheap thing to do.
0: Sipsy yeah. is the um, the company's and Intellectual properties Commission website, right so you can actually go and do a search there for a company and you can see who the directors yeah. are so you you call that up and you see one director, I think there were two at one time, but one resigned, but the one director yeah, being Johan right. Steinberg, who then uh, disappeared so These are some of the due diligence steps that you can take. Uh, What else can you do if you're alerted to something that sounds too good to be true?
1: Well, you know, my test is basically I'll just try and speak to someone smarter than me. Um, Now, my aunt, as an example, was approached by a family member who, um, had, you know, at the time, just looking at cryptocurrency investment, not necessarily MTI. She doesn't have a financial background, just came to me, speak to me. Where I came on MTI as well was... Um, someone whose father was invested in MTI, he came to me and asked, you know, can I look into this? So I think one step is just look for someone smarter than you, hear their opinion. There are these tiny little telltale signs of things that you can find on SIPC, for example, or, you know, giving a good think about what's happening. But the reality is that a lot of it can just be kept secret. And essentially MTI did that. I don't think they, you know, always would have told investors exactly what's happening you know they didn't have as far as i know external audit function or internal audit function when being asked about the brokers nobody would say anything about where the brokers are who the brokers are so really nothing that i looked at made sense to me every rock i turned over just had more doubt that's why i reported um, went to the reserve bank and the fc saying at least my Concerns.
0: When did you make your report to the Reserve Bank? I think you were in the Cayman Islands at the time that this came up. And it, as you said, it was a family member that, that asked you to have a look at this. And you straight away picked up something wrong here. So you actually wrote to the Reserve Bank and to various other authorities. Am I correct?
1: That's right. So this was, I believe, in early June. I think just a week later, the Texas regulators had, um, you know, basically barred MTI from trading in Texas. Um so I think from that point on, uh, it got a lot of publicity, and I think maybe that is when the FCSO started to you know, seriously start looking into what was going on.
0: Why do you think schemes like MTI were so successful, that even after Texas and Canada and the Financial Sector Conduct Authority in South Africa issued warnings about it? How do you account for that? People continue to invest despite public warnings.
1: It really does boggle my mind, Kieran. But I think one reason is that people trust anything in a PDF format or a nice website far too much. If you understand you an investor statement in an editable Word document or you know, written on a piece of paper, you probably think something is fishy. But for some reason, when we receive a nice-looking statement or we'll log into a website that shows our balance, we we'll automatically think the information we're presented with is true and valid and will ignore the warnings because we think what we see in front of us is evidence. Unfortunately, that's far from the truth, and these resources are a very easy thing for bad actors to fake.
0: Right. Another,
1: I think, major issue is perception bias. And if you surround yourself with NPI believers, then you'll only hear things that reinforce what you already believe. If you look, you know, if you take a Facebook feed of a Donald Trump supporter, it's going to look very different to a Joe Biden supporter. But in both cases, the posts you see are going to just be supporting your existing point of view. Um, And I think like all the media we're consuming these days is cherry picked for us to make us feel good and on the wedding side. And, you know, in the U.S., we've seen how dangerous that is. Is
0: Is multi-level marketing a giveaway when it comes to scams? And you being an auditor and having been involved in forensic and accounting examinations of schemes like this, what are the things that you would look for amongst the people who are running those schemes?
1: Um, to me, you know, mostly it's just background. If you're looking at the people behind it, um, look for formal trading. And, you know, not everyone has formal trading, but has a lot of experience. And, are you know, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, something simple to look out for with NTI, I saw in the T's and C's that members aren't allowed to refer to it as a pyramid scheme, which to me is just, you know, immediately a warning bell going off. Um, and, you know, businesses with, a like, a really excellent product or investment firm with a great strategy, I don't think needs to go, you know, to, to an MLM uh, and through those incentive mechanisms to be successful because I can just make more money the regular way without having to share their profits with layers beneath them. Now, if there was an MLM in a business just as one component of a sales channel or, you know, in the startup phase, I think I'd be less concerned. But that said, I understand the attractiveness to people needing to generate an income if they don't have suitable alternatives. So in a sense, I'm sitting in my salary earning ivory tower when I say this. But to me, it's just a dead giveaway and not worth getting involved in an MLM.
0: Of course, what must really burn up the people who did invest in MTI is if they just bought Bitcoin and held it in their own wallets, they would have done more than 300% last year.
1: Yes, I think there's going to be a lot of people kicking themselves. But, you know, i is 2020, so... It's difficult to you know, say what could have or should have. I've often picked myself that I haven't bought Bitcoin.
0: Is it not a case that when you're doing forensic audits, uh, the Forensic Audit 101 booklet will tell you you do a lifestyle audit to the people who are running the organization? So you look at, you know, are they living beyond their means? Are they buying new properties, uh, fancy luxury cars and all that kind of thing? Is that where you would start?
1: Uh, well, I'm not a forensic auditor myself. Um, I just took an external audit of uh, financial statements. So there are firms that specialize in exactly that. Um, but yes, Karen, I agree that that would be where you start. I think where it becomes difficult, you know, in this case to have done that is that um, someone like Johan or the people around him might have, you know, just invested in Bitcoin themselves and made a fortune of that, which a lifestyle audit wouldn't necessarily pick up that this is your gotten gains that they are, um, you know, living the high life on.
0: Right. Are you a crypto fan?
1: Definitely. <laughs> um, I'm, sorry, I'm more of a technologist than a you an know, anarchist or fundamentalist. I don't think we're going to be using crypto as money anytime soon, but there are some incredible technological advances happening in this space every day um, that will certainly make fundamental changes to how we do things in the future. I was speaking to a developer this week and I told him um, Bitcoin seems like a dinosaur of technology already. Um, And he said, you know, dinosaurs are cool, but we played with them when we were kids. Um, And if you think about it, considering the electricity usage of Bitcoin is astronomical and completely misaligned with the sustainability path that everyone is trying to move towards, there are serious problems. Um, I think, you know, the space to watch is Ethereum with proof of stake um, and the many DeFi and stablecoin projects underway. I think that's where, you know, we'll really see fundamental uses develop. And that's what really excites me about crypto.
0: What are some of the complications that you run into if you're asked to investigate a cryptocurrency scheme? I guess one of the advantages is that you have this ledger, which is very detailed, and it's got every single transaction and the location of every coin anywhere in the world. But it is also possible to hide this stuff, right?
1: So uh, most cryptocurrencies are pseudo-anonymous, which means that um, the information is out there on the blockchain as to where it went and um, what was done. But you don't know who it is to necessarily. Um, So, you you know, it is possible to track things. Um, In this case, with MPI, they could, you know, uh, track where the crypto has gone. But that just shows them an address where it is. They don't know who has the um, private key to that address who can access that crypto. Um, so to, to an extent, when you're doing a forensic audit, you're going to be able to find a lot of information that can't necessarily be obfuscated, but you, your hands might be chopped over actually doing something about that. The liquidators might find, oh, you know, here are the assets. But if they can't, you know, if the keys are with you on, if they can't compel him by some manner to um, release those coins, then, you know, it was a meaningless exercise. Um, And it does just get, you know, horrendously complex when you're looking at decentralized finance, vaults. you know, every single different cryptocurrency works in a different way. Um, I think, you know, the challenge is just the level of complexity is huge and you need, you know, you need seriously smart people to do that. But fortunately, there are seriously smart people out there.
0: Do you think we're going to get to the day when we're going to get paid in Bitcoin rather than RANS?
1: Well, hopefully we don't go the Venezuela route here, uh, although some people think we will. Um, But no, I don't think we will. I think um, that, you know, countries might issue their own backed uh, currencies, cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies. but there is, you know, you need a currency to implement monetary policy, which ultimately many countries need to do. If you look at the European Union, where they've got a common currency, there's, you know, issues because Italy and Germany are very different fiscal positions, um, but they have only one monetary policy. So there is a, you know, there is a use for central backed cryptocurrencies. And I think there is, you know, a significant amount of use for stable coins. Um, especially with, you know, failing economies or volatile economies where you can have um, stable coins that take over for a period of time. It might have, you know, made a big difference in you know, how things went in Venezuela and in Zimbabwe. All
0: right. And of course, the thing about a stable coin is for people who are not following that is, that for example, uh, USD Tether, which is backed one to one by the US dollar. You can purchase that and you can move it anywhere in the world. You can actually own the equivalent of a U.S. dollar. And there's also a stable coin, the RAND, the XR, which is issued by Altcoin Trader, uh, backed one-to-one by the RAND. And you can buy things anywhere in the world on all of these various decentralized exchanges with these stable coins. And as you say, countries like Venezuela that are going through financial collapse, they, um, as soon as you start opening up these crypto exchanges to these populations, they're going to start buying and backing stable coins and moving their currency out of the local currency to one that's more stable, correct?
1: That's right. Um, and there are many other alternatives too. So you get stable coins that you know, have a mix of commodities. You could have a stable coin that, you know, is one third gold, one third oil, one third of something else. Um, so it doesn't have to only be financial instruments. Um, and that sort of helps us on a global scale where you've got a lot of quantitative easing going on at the moment. Um, and you know, you might be someone that's doing a lot of international trading. You could buy stable coins that no matter what is happening with different currencies economies is going to have a reasonably stable value over the you know, the average.
0: Julian Fonseil, thank you so much. We're gonna leave it at that. That was Julian Fonseil, he's a cryptocurrency expert and an auditor. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.